All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to New Life. Excited to be here with you guys today. I hope that you are excited. Uh, This is weird, man. Like, usually Pastor Mark asks me to preach and then he leaves town, which I understand, right? It makes sense. But uh, this week he's like, oh, I want you to preach and I'm going to be there. And I'm like, thanks. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it's like some sort of test or something. So I don't know what's happening. Uh, but so I'm going to need your guys' help this morning, all right? So you guys got to help me out that, you know, the boss is here. So uh, lots of amens, all right? Throw in some hallelujahs there, okay? <laughs> Laugh at all my jokes, especially the ones that aren't funny, all right? I need your help, all right? Uh, but seriously, I, I'm excited to be able to be here and to share with you as we celebrate uh, the 4th of July. I, I love the 4th of July. America, right? Uh, I, I love our nation. I feel like I'm a, a, a patriot, and so uh, I love this time of year, and I, I love the opportunity to be able to, uh, to share the Word of God with you as we celebrate our freedom as a nation, because we don't just celebrate our freedom as a nation, but as Christians, we celebrate our freedom as Christians. We celebrate our freedom in Christ Jesus. Now, this might blow some of your minds away, but uh, we as Americans, we, we have a tendency to, you know, think we're the best at everything because we are, right? And so sometimes we think we've got like a monopoly on things like freedom, uh, but this might blow your mind, but we actually didn't invent freedom. God did. And so when we... You know, when, when America was founded and birthed, um, uh, that wasn't the, the first time freedom was a thought. Uh, we borrowed that from God. We borrowed those thoughts and those principles from the scriptures. And so it's really cool because there's tons of passages of scripture that talk about freedom and how God's desire for us is to live and to walk in freedom. So do me a favor this morning. Listen, Pastor Mark, you preached a sermon earlier, so I get my time back, right? No, shoot. Okay. <laughs> uh, listen, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. And uh, that's the main passage of Scripture I want to look at with you. Um, uh, the title of my message this morning is Live Free or Die. Because that sounds awesome. <laughs> that has nothing to do with my sermon. I just wanted to say it, you know. Uh, but seriously, there is this, this reality that Christ has set us free. And so if we're not living and walking in the freedom that Christ has provided for us, the truth is, is we are spiritually dead. Amen. And so I can stand up here and say, live free or die. That's pretty awesome. First uh, Samuel chapter 8, I want to share this passage of scripture with you because I think, you know, looking at all of these passages of scripture and all, all, all this stuff about freedom. There, there's one question I kind of like went into this with in, in the back of my head, uh, because I feel like if we were to sit down at my dining room table and we were to talk about our nation, I, I think there would be a, a, a lot of things that we would uh, praise God for, uh, a lot of things that we would recognize that God has done and God is still doing today. And, and I think it's important that we recognize that, that we focus on the good things that God is doing. But the reality of it is, is despite all of those things, I think the conversation would definitely uh, go into that place of, but man, what's happened? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, we, we, we could not help but mention the reality that it sure does not seem like we are as free today as our forefathers intended for us to be. I can't help but think if they were alive today, they'd be going, this isn't America. 
right? This isn't our America. And, and, and I think we, we recognize that, man, things have changed. And in fact, the reality is, is man, there is an all-out attack and war on freedom today. And we expect that from a lot of places in the world, but we don't necessarily expect it here. But church, the truth is we have to realize there's always been a war on freedom. It's just more noticeable, I think. It's always been there. It's always been there lurking in the shadows, so to speak, or whatever you might say. But, but it sure doesn't, like the, the, those who would attack freedom, sure, man, they're not as shy as they used to be. And so as I look at this, I, I, I can't help, just in prayer and, and just in thinking like, God, what's happened to freedom? Where, where, where is the freedom? Where, where has it gone? And, and I want to talk about a little bit this morning about what freedom is, because I think that's part of it, and so we're going to talk about it. But the main premise and the main question I want to, I want to look at is, why aren't we as free as we should be? Why aren't we as free as God would want us to be? Why, where has the freedom gone? So let's take a look this morning. First Samuel chapter 8, starting in verse 1, it says this. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of, uh, the name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. They were... Sorry, I just my mind sometimes goes places. I'm like, how do you go from Joel to Abijah? That's, that's so weird. But anyways... They were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Ah, what a good meeting, right? Now appoint for us kings to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flock and you shall be his slaves. 
And in that day, you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey, the voice, uh, obey their voice and make them a king. Let's pray together. Dearly Father, we thank you so much. Lord, as we celebrate the freedom that we have in this nation, Lord, we also, and more importantly, recognize that it's free, the, the freedom in you that truly matters. Lord, it's not physical freedom, but it's spiritual freedom. And we thank you so much that you paid the price, that we could be free from sin. And so we submit ourselves to you today. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each and every one of us and help us to live truly as free people the way you've called us to live. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, uh, here, uh, so here is the people of Israel. And I, I think this passage of Scripture is, is so easy. And, and I want to I look at this. Like I said, there's, there's some other Scriptures and things that we can look at. There's a lot of material here. I don't have a lot of time. Uh, but the thing uh, that, that just really caught my eye, I understand that this is a passage of Scripture uh, for a certain time, a certain place, and a certain people. And so I don't want to take it out of context, but as I'm reading it, I'm reading this, and I'm going, holy smokes, like, there's some parallels here. Like, like I'm reading, I'm like, I'm, some of this is sounding kind of familiar in, it, in, a, in its own way, you know? And so, I, I, and, and so I, I'm looking at this, and, and, I'm, and I'm seeing a free people. I mean, I mean, we love to tell about our freedom, but think about this for a minute. The people of Israel, they didn't have a president. They didn't have a prime minister. They didn't have a king. They had Jesus, right? They, they had God as their king, and, and man, uh, yeah, he would raise up judges uh, in moments where they were wandering to bring them back or, or to uh, fight oppressive foreign nations and to set them uh, back into that place of freedom. And then oftentimes those guys would then go back to plowing their fields and doing their thing, which is awesome, right? So that God would give them you know, that power and authority for a moment and then they would... Really, so they, man, they, they are living in this awesome freedom. And yet they say... This is too much freedom for us. We're, we're just a little too free here. We should change this. And so they give away their freedom. They lose their freedom. And Samuel's like, dude, you don't understand. Like, he's going to take from you, and then he's going to take from you, and then he's going to take from you, and after he's done that, he's going to take from you. Oh, and then by the way, he's going to take more from you, and after he's taken everything you have, he's going to take you. Sign me up. That sounds great. <laughs> And it's like, what, what is happening here? Like where, where just the logic has gone out the window. But I think there's some things that have happened in the hearts and the minds of the people to allow them to come into this place of deception where they're so willing and quickly to give away their freedom. And I think it's happening here. And so I want to take a look at five 
different things that really jumped out to me, and there's probably more or whatever, but there, these five things really uh, spoke to me, and so uh, I, I want to share those with you this morning. So the first thing we see, so here, here the people come, and, and this stands out to me because they say this, it feels like it's, they say this a lot, right? They, kinda, they kind of repeat this, so they come to Samuel, and they say, listen, Samuel, uh, man, man, you're getting old. Uh, we need to change this up. And, and, and you know what we want to do? We want to be like everybody else. Like, man, we're this only nation here that's free. What's up with that? We shouldn't be, you know, we should be like the other nations. And so they come before him and, 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 and they say, hey, uh, in, in verse 5, now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. They say it again in verse 20, that we also may be like all the nations. And so there's this attraction to be like everybody else. And so the first thing I see here is that what the people of Israel have done and what I believe that we are doing is that we have looked to the culture to define freedom rather than looking to God. Now, as we go through these points this morning, I want you to understand, it's going to be obvious. Some of this stuff's going to be obvious like on a national level, right? We're going to be like, oh yeah, you know, I can see how that applies on a national level. But it should also, we should also be looking at how it applies to our hearts. And in fact, that's where it counts. And so as we look at that, yes, we see where it can be applied to the national level. So as a nation, have we done this? Yeah. We've given into the culture. But guess what? As Christians and as individuals, we've done the same thing. We've looked at the culture of this world and we've allowed the culture of the world to influence us more than the culture of heaven. And so even as people in the church, we say, well, we just want to be like everybody else. But church, I got a news for you. You aren't like everybody else. And you shouldn't want to be like everybody else. But let's be honest, we tend to lean that way, don't we? It's, kind of, it's just human nature. We have a tendency to want to just fit in and blend in. Man, I'll never forget when I was 10 years old, my mom and dad came to me and they said, Trevor, and this is how they talked, Trevor, I don't know, Trevor, we're moving to Nebraska. Or no, I'm sorry. We're moving to Arizona. I lived in Nebraska. We're moving. And my whole world was flipped upside down because we, we lived in the middle of nowhere in Nebraska. Uh, lived in, a, in the, like the woods was my playground. You know what I mean? It was pretty awesome. Uh, we lived, the, the, our, the town that we were a part of was 300 people. I know a lot of people, right? And at least for me, it was. Uh, there, and and that, that was my world. Like that was what I grew up in. That was what I, I knew. Uh, my entire class, right, was like six kids. They were all my best friends. Only a couple of them came to my birthday party, but they were all my best friends, you know? And, uh, you know, that, that was the world I knew. And then my parents took me across the country and we moved to Lake Havasu City, Arizona. And I was like, my mind exploded, right? It was just like, what is, what, what is this place? It was completely different in every way. I mean, we went from the woods to the desert, you know? I'm like, where's everybody's trees, you know? And, and so we, we, and everything, everything was different. It was, man, it was a huge city. And it's really not a huge city. But to me, it was like, dude, they've got stoplights in this town. Like, this place is massive. And uh, so we, we move uh, there. And man, everybody talks different. And you learn that right away. Like, you don't think you're different 
until you get around a lot of people who are different. <laughs> right? You're like, I'm normal. And then you, and then you like go to someplace new, and you're like, what? what's going on here? And so, so I like go, and I'm like, man, I realized right, right away, like, just the way I talked was different. And I, you know, I'd be like, you know, hanging out with school, like, hey, you know, after school, we should go get a pop. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, you know, go get a pop, you know, like a, like a pop. And they're like, what's a, what are you talking about? I'm like, a pop. They're like, you mean a soda? I'm like, what's a soda? <laughs> it was different, you know, and I was like, right away, I was like, oh, yeah, soda. That's what I'm, I would never say pop. What a loser would say that? <laughs> and so it's like, I was like really quickly trying to like adjust and catch up. One of the things that was different, man, everybody dressed different. And for, it was so funny, like for the first time in my life, like what the clothes people wore was like, like I was aware of it, you know? Like up until that point, like I was never aware of that until like I, I moved to Arizona and like everybody dressed differently. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so like here I am, this, this you know, Midwestern kid, I, I was used to wearing cowboy boots, blue jeans, and a raggedy old hand-me-down t-shirt from my sister. So, you know, <laughs> I was like, Whatever. And, uh, you know, and then but everybody there dressed totally different. Everybody wore, like, flip-flops. Man, what's up? Haven't we, like, invented a better footwear than flip-flops? Why do people still wear those? Jesus wore those, didn't he? Like, come on. Every time I wear those, my feet end up bleeding, you know? I just get hurt all the time. Uh, skater shoes, man, all the kids were wearing skater shoes, like, Specific shoes for kids who skated, and nobody ever really skated, but that's the shoes that they wore. And shorts. I never, like, why is every pants so short? You know, they're only going to their knees. Like, everyone's wearing shorts, right? And so it's like I was trying to, to, to catch up, so I quickly went out and uh, had my parents buy me some skater shoes and, and some shorts and uh, showing up to school feeling good, right? Like, yeah, I'm just like everybody else. We'll get a soda, you know what I mean? Like, Skater shoes, shorts, and, you know, for a kid who's never worn shorts before, you notice when they wear shorts because they're like, you know, bro, what's wrong with your legs? And uh, so I show up to school feeling good, and I realized that I had made a huge miscalculation because I thought I had it figured out, thought, felt good, looking good, and then I realized I totally overlooked a very important detail. And guys, you know we have a tendency to overlook the details, right? But sometimes the details really matter. And so I show up to school and I miss this one detail because I had the shoes, I had the shorts, but I missed the socks. Because socks, there's different kinds. And I wore the same socks my dad wore and my grandpa wore and everybody wore their whole life, just the big white ones that went up to here and that was the socks. And it didn't matter. You had boots and jeans on. Nobody ever, I never noticed socks in my whole entire life. I showed up at school. Everybody knew about my socks. And they're like, bro, where did your sock end and your leg begin? I'm just like, huh. this is different, right? And so I decided to fix this. Now, I don't know what's wrong with me. You know, kids, our brains aren't fully developed yet. So, I didn't, you know, think logically and like, hey, mom, let's go to Walmart and get some like normal socks. And no, I just, I thought I'd fix it, right? Socks are crazy expensive, I'm sure. And so I decided I'd fix my socks. And so this is the idea I had. You know, when you're a kid, you just have stupid ideas all the time. 
And so I was like, I'll just, I'll just pull my sock down to like everybody else's level, right? But then I had this like giant floppy sock out here. And so I just folded it underneath my foot and I shoved it in my shoe. It was super uncomfortable, but like beauty is pain, am I right? So, so and I did that. There was like a whole like season of my life where that's what I did with my socks. Like I was just embarrassed that I had the wrong socks, so I just pulled them down and shoved them in there. And I and I would get home and I'd kick my shoes off and I'd walk around the house like this with my socks just flopping around. And I'll never forget. My dad would look at me and he's like, "What? Did, what happened to you?" And he would just look at me, just flopping around the house, just like, son, what is wrong with you? And I'm just like, dad, you don't know nothing about fashion. <laughs> you know? And so I remember like this one day, my dad got so like sick of seeing me looking like an idiot. And he just comes up to me and he steps on my floppy part of my sock. And I can't move. And so I'm like, what are you doing, dad? And then he just pushes me down on the floor, right? And like, I had to like spend the rest of my, like that period of my life in fear that my dad was going to attack me for wearing floppy socks. <laughs> but listen, church, the point is this, man, when we try to blend in with the culture, we end up looking like idiots. Yeah. Amen. When, we, when we try to just blend in and just be like everybody else, man, we're not everybody else. And when we allow the culture of the world to be a greater influence in our life than the culture of heaven, man, we are like little kids with floppy socks. And I can just imagine God looking at us going, what is happening to my kids? What's happening? The church, we should not, man, we should look different. We should talk different. We should act different. We should dress different than the rest of the culture. Are we Americans? Absolutely. But guess what? Man, we are Christians first. Yeah, I'm proud to be an American. And I love my nation, but I understand this. It's a temporary home. This is not where I'm supposed to be forever. Before I'm an American, man, I'm, in a, I'm a Christian. 1 Peter chapter 2 says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the Bible makes it very clear, hey, you belong to God before you belong to, any, belong to anything in this world. And so we're Christians first. We are part of the culture of heaven before we're ever a part of any culture on this earth. And therefore, it's that culture that we should hold on to. It's that culture that we should be implementing into our homes and our lives and our churches and our communities. Yeah, praise God for you know, all, of the, the, you know, all of our stuff, but man, we get it confused. And I think so often what happens is we let the culture of the world influence the church when it should be the culture of the church influencing the culture of the world. I said culture a lot. Are you, here? Are you still with me? Culture, 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 culture. So that's the first thing I see. They're like, hey, we want to be like everybody else. They've lost their freedom because they wanted to be like everybody else. Church, you will lose your freedom if you want to be like everybody else because only those who are in Christ are truly free. Amen. The second thing I see, uh, they come to uh, Samuel and they have this discussion with him and Samuel goes to God and he's praying to God and it says, the Lord says to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you for they have not rejected you but they have rejected me from being king over them. And so the, the, honestly, like the biggest thing here 
as to why the people of Israel lost their freedom, and, and the same is true for us, the biggest reason is because they've rejected the king of freedom. And church, the same is true for us. We have rejected the king who makes us free. And God says to Samuel, Samuel, this isn't new. He says, they've been struggling with this since the day I set them free. In verse 8, he says, according to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. God, God said to Samuel, Samuel, this isn't new. Listen, they're not just, they're doing this because, man, they're rejecting me as their king. They're rejecting me as the authority of their life. Now, I'm, as God, right? Like, not Trevor, God. He said, well, that's who they're rejecting. And, and hey, this isn't new. He said, Samuel, they've been doing this since the day I delivered them from actual slavery. From a king, right? A king put them in that slavery. I delivered them from that slavery. They kept looking back to Egypt going, wasn't Egypt nice? Man, those chains were so cool, Right? And now here they are, and they're like, man, remember how that king put us in slavery? We should get a king again. Isn't that a great idea? High five, right? <laughs> no. But church, we've got to understand, like, we can make fun of the people of Israel, but they're just a reflection of us. We do the same thing. We, 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 we say we're all about freedom, but the reality of it is, is we're all about slavery. We're all about the things that put us in bondage. We love the things that put us in bondage. And even as Christians and followers of Christ, though we have been set free, there is that old man that loves slavery. And he's creeping back in all the time, trying to get us go back, to back into the, that place of bondage. So church, we have to recognize that we are, lose our freedom because we reject Christ as king of our hearts and our lives and ultimately our nation. Jesus is the king who brings freedom and only Jesus. What area in our life are we chasing after false gods that the only thing they're going to do is, is enslave us again? And they're there for all of us. The third thing I see uh, in this whole passage, so uh, they're, they're, they're talking to Samuel and they say, Samuel, you're old. Let's be honest, right? You're, you're getting kind of old and you know what? Your sons, dude, they're dirtbags, all right? They are not like you. You're a cool dude, but your kids, man, they stink, right? And so they go to Samuel and they're like, hey, Listen, and verse 3 says, Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. So one of like the catalysts of this whole conversation was they were looking at Samuel going, he's like, he's only got a little bit of time left. And he put his sons in place of authority, which scripturally speaking, I don't know if he really even had that authority. I mean, Samuel was, was amazing, but he wasn't perfect, just like, you know, everybody in the Bible. And so I don't even think he had the authority to establish his sons. God was the one who established judges. And so he puts his sons in there thinking, hey, they're my babies, you know, they're awesome. And everybody's like, no, like, like we disagree. And, and there was a problem there. And so one of the whole catalysts of this whole thing was they were basically saying, hey, Samuel, you're great, but your sons aren't. And so listen, 
So we have to realize that we have and have had lots of godly men in our life and in our nation, but we are lacking godly dads. You see, Samuel was a godly man, but he missed it when it came to his sons. He missed it at home. He did great at leading the people, the nation to God, but he did not do great at leading his own kids to God. And so the people are, are looking at this and they're like, man, and so church, we have to understand the same is true for us. We have had, been blessed by the influence of lots of godly men, but we are lacking in godly dads. And I would propose to you this, we need godly dads way more than we need godly men on the public stage. Do we need godly men on the public stage? Yes, but they need to be godly dads first. They need to be godly men at home first. Why? Because when Samuel leaves, when he dies, there goes his character. There goes his, his integrity. There goes his passion. There goes his values. There goes his faith. Why? Because it was not reproduced in his sons. And so, dads, we have to realize that we've missed it. And some of us, man, we've got some godly men, but we don't have enough godly dads. And our nation, our generation, desperately needs godly dads in the home. And we've seen this a lot. Somebody who's you know, in the public arena, and they're a godly man, but their home has just gone to... Just gone. I'll never forget a few years ago... Uh, we were shorthanded with the, with the kids, the little kids, the nursery, preschool. Well, I, don't, I, I don't know the difference. They're all little, right? And uh, we were shorthanded, and so uh, Lauren was back there. And so I went back there to, to help her because we just had a ton of kids, just tons of babies. And so I went back to help, and I was like, sweet, I'm going like to have an easy weekend. I'm just going to hang out and just sit here and just be a body in the room, right? Like, I don't have to do nothing. She'll do all the hard work, and I'll just sit here. And that was my plan. And so I walk in to the nursery and I sit on the floor and I'm just like ready to chill. And then all of a sudden, like three or four kids, they're just like all over me, right? And I'm just like, man, and, and, I, and I was like really surprised because like I didn't do anything to try to get, like I wasn't like, hey, let's play or nothing. I'm like, hey, you're just over there and I'm over here, you know what I mean? Like, and, and so I like sit down and then like three or four kids come and I'm just like, man, what is going on? Because as far as I know, I don't really put on the, hey, come sit on my lap kind of vibe, you know? And if I do, like, slap me, that's not what I'm going for here. But, like, all of a sudden, like, all these kids were, like, like coming and, and climbing on me and playing with me and, like, bringing me toys and showing me stuff. And, and I was just like, wow, that's weird because, like, I know how to get attention. And I, like, wasn't doing anything to try to get attention, but I was getting all this attention. And so later afterwards, I was talking to Lauren and Pastor Chris, and I was like, man, that was kind of weird, you know? Like, and, and we noticed that the kids who were, like, just, like, bugging me, I guess, I don't know what to say, who were like all in my space, we noticed there were all kids who didn't really have a dad in their life. Or they had a dad, but he wasn't there. You know what I mean? Like he was there, but not there. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it was just like, man, it just pierced my heart. They were so desperate for some sort of godly man or just some, some, some sort of father figure. They didn't even care who I was. They were, they were desperate for my attention. And you know what really, man, church, th that was our church. 
Right? Like that wasn't somewhere else. That was here. That was in that room over there, right here. Our church, our kids, right here. We have kids in this room, in this building, in this community who are desperate for some sort of godly father figure in their life. And church, that's, that's on us. And praise God for the moms who are making it work despite that. But dads, we got to step it up. Because here's the reality. So we have, what we have happening, and you can see this very clearly, is a whole generation of young people who are growing up and they're very, very confused. And they have no idea. Well, I, I, I would say because there's no godly father in their life who's saying, this is who you are. You can be proud of who you are. God created you. God gave you a purpose and a plan. And he's got, he gave you life. And, and, and you're not a mistake. And you're not an accident. And there's no godly dad who's showing them who they are. And so we have a whole generation of young people who feel very confused. And they don't know, man, if they're male or female, Right? They don't know who they're supposed to like or who they're not supposed to like. They, 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 they've missed. They've just, the, the, the things that seem simple are no longer simple because, man, we don't have any, because we've missed it in the home. We've missed it in the home. Those things come from the home. And so here's Samuel, and he's a godly man. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, he's one of my favorite prophets. I named my kid after him, right? I'm not bashing on Samuel, but let's just the reality, like, hey, guess what, guys? You can be a godly man and not a godly dad. You can be really good at work. You can be really good at church. You can be really good in all these areas, and you can miss it at home. And guess what? If you miss it at home, you missed it because that's where it matters. And so when, man, when, when godly men stop raising up godly men, the people will cry out for another form of leadership. And we see that happening. So church, guys, we, we got to be godly dads. We need godly dads. So the people saw Samuel, they loved Samuel, they respected Samuel, but they were terrified of his kids. The fourth thing that we see here is that we have bought this lie. So, um, so verse 7, so, so, God, so Samuel's praying to God and he's saying, man, like, and he's like kind of bummed it would seem. Like, he's, he's really upset about this. God, they're asking for a king. Like, this is crazy. And God says to Samuel, Samuel, listen, just do what they say. It's not about you, right? They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me from being king over them, verse 7. He's saying, listen, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. But I think it's interesting that even though it was ultimately God who they had rejected, the man of God was feeling pretty rejected. And guess what? That's what happens. When you reject God, you end up rejecting the people of God. And so here's the man of God, the, the, the one who is represented, the prophet, the representative of God to the people. And as a result, if they're going to reject God, they're going to reject his prophet. If they're going to reject God, they're going to reject his people. And so if, if we're going to reject God, guess what? You're going to reject his church. You're going to reject his people. And if you don't want God in your life, then you don't want his representatives in your life as well. Some of you have experienced this, where people who you love and care about have pulled away from you, not because of you, but because of the God that you love and serve. Man, it still hurts, though. And Samuel was hurting. Samuel was saying, man, and, and, and so we've done, and, and part of this is our fault. We've bought into the lie that the church has no voice in civil government. 
right? The people were going to, like, the man of God and saying, we don't want your influence anymore. Just give us a king. And so we've done that. We've bought into this whole, like, oh, separation of church and state, which is hilarious because it's like, that's not what that means, right? Like, you know, I don't have to tell you guys, like, that was never intended to say, hey, you can't bring God into politics. You can't bring God into the workplace. No, that's not, are you, do you, have you read history? Right? Like, everything was done in a church, Right? So it was not to say that you can't have God in the state. It was to say, hey, state, you have no right to tell the church what it should do. But guess what, church? Church, come tell the state what to do, please. We desperately need the morality of Christ. So church, come tell the state what it should do. But state, you should just shut up, all right? And that was what it was meant to do. We've totally twisted that, and we've bought into some of that. We've gone, well... I gotta be careful what I say. You know, I gotta be, I, I don't wanna rub people the wrong way. I don't wanna, you know, and we've kind of we've kind of fed into that a little bit. And we and, and we're like, hey, you know, you keep your church is in this corner, work is in this corner, politics is in this corner. I'm sorry, but that's not possible. Because we are Christians, it's who we are. It's not something I can turn off. It's not something I can punch out of at the end of church on Sunday. It's who I am. So everywhere I go and everything I do is influenced by the reality of who Christ is in my life. So I can't leave it out of my work. I can't leave it out of my my politics. It's not possible. And nor should it be. It shouldn't be. That's not God's desire for us. Again, that scripture in 1 Peter, I'll read it again. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Listen to this. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So why do, why do we belong to God? So that we could go around proclaiming his, how excellent God is. So if we're not proclaiming the excellencies of God, we've missed it, Right? We can't just turn that off. It's who we are. It affects everything in our life. It's a part of everything. Why? Because we are a part of a holy culture before we're part of a worldly culture. And we should want that. The Bible tells us in Psalm chapter 33, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I want my nation to be blessed. And if I want my nation to be blessed, guess what? God needs to be Lord of the nation. That God needs to be Lord of my nation. And he says this in verse 16, the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its great might, it cannot rescue. Church, listen, we've got the greatest military on the face of the earth, but the Bible tells us very clearly that is not your hope of salvation. Only Jesus is our hope of salvation. Hey, I, I love the F-22 Raptor. Like, I like to think no other jet could ever beat it. But, hey, it's about Jesus. It's all Jesus. He is our hope. He is the hope for our nation. And therefore, we have to be willing to bring him into every part of our nation. The fifth thing you hear. So, not only do people not want the influence of the man of God in their government anymore... But they say this in verse 20, and I think it's so telling. And we'll end with this, but 
he says uh, that the people say to Samuel, they say, hey, we, we want a king that he may, uh, that he also may be like all, the, that we may also be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Why did they want a king? Because they did not want to have personal responsibility anymore. You see, we have a whole generation of young people who are growing up with this misconception of what freedom is. And there's this lie that our world and our culture is bought into that freedom is the ability to do what I want to do whenever I want to do it. Right? Oh, I'm free. You can't tell me what to do. I'm free. Right? And so it's all about just, hey, whatever you want, whatever feels good. It doesn't matter about consequences, nothing. Just, just whatever you want to do. And so we have a whole generation of, of people who are confused as to what the definition of freedom is. Can I tell you, church, freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want whenever you want. That's chaos. And, and it sounds like, on the surface, that sounds like freedom. Yeah, I just do whatever I want whenever I want. But it doesn't work very well in practice. It just doesn't work. It's chaos. It's anarchy. And freedom cannot thrive in anarchy. And so freedom is not the ability to just do whatever we want to do. But we have a whole generation of young people, and that's what they think freedom is. That's what they're pushing for. Just whatever feels good. It doesn't matter what's morally right. It doesn't matter what's wrong. It doesn't matter. Just, just whatever feels good. And we, as a result, we are not seeing freedom reign. We are seeing freedom diminish. So the Bible says this in Galatians Chapter 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. That sounds familiar. And so what is freedom? True freedom it isn't the right or the ability to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. True freedom is, hey, he set you free, so now you're free to do the right thing. You're free to love your neighbor. You're free to serve one another. Now you're free to do the right thing. So real freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want to do. Real freedom is the ability to do the right thing with no one making you. That's freedom. That's why Christ set us free. Because here's the truth. We can't do the right thing without somebody making us apart from Christ. It's just we go default. We go back into that fleshly fallen nature. And so apart from Christ, we're not free. We always go back to slavery. We go back to chaos. We go back to selfishness. But when Christ gives us a new heart, when he regenerates our heart and we begin to see things differently for the first time, we have the ability to love our neighbors, not because the government tells me I should, but because I know I should. Why? He's written, God has written his law upon my heart. Guess what? What that means is I don't need nobody to make me do the law. The law's right here. It's on my heart. I got to do it. I don't need someone to force me to do it. So it really comes down to this this thing of self-governance. If we would just govern ourselves, then we would be in freedom. If we would do what's right, but see, the people of Israel said, hey, we want a king so he'll fight our battles for us. And this whole freedom thing, freedom comes with responsibility. People are like, this is a lot of responsibility. I mean, I got to take care of my neighbor. 
You know, I gotta, I gotta, man, I gotta feed the hungry, I gotta clothe the naked, I gotta, I gotta help the widow and the orphan, and that's a lot of responsibility. Give us a king, he can do it for me. And that's what we've done. We said, hey, I, I don't want that responsibility. I don't want individual responsibility. Let's just put it on the shoulders of the king. He'll do it. Let's, let's have the king can feed the hungry. The king can clothe the naked. The king can, can take care of the orphans and the widows. But guess what, church? The king is not very good at it. Yeah. Except for the king of kings. Right. Jesus is the only one. And he said, hey, that's your job. It's individual responsibility. That's what true freedom means. True freedom means I'm going to do what's right without anybody telling me to do it. We said we're like, let's have a king come take all of our stuff and give it to others. No, no, no. That's not what God says. I love this quote from Robert Withrope. And uh, worship team, you guys can set back up. We're, we're going to finish here in just a minute. He's like a, a congressman from like way back in the day. And he said, Men and word must necessarily be controlled either by a power within them or a power without them, either by the word of God or by the strong arm of man, either by the Bible or the bayonet. So the reality of it is, is if we don't allow the word of God to govern our hearts and we, and, and we go into this place of self-governance, guess what? God will give us a king that will do it for us. And like the people of Israel, God says, you will cry out to me in that way because of his oppressive nature, and I will not respond. Why? Because you asked for it. Because I gave you all of the ability to live as free people, and you desired slavery. And so, he, and so we have slavery. So I get it. You know, sometimes I'm just like everybody else. I look at our leaders and I complain. And then I can't help but feel like the Holy Spirit say, eh, God's given you the leader you deserve. He's given you the leader you asked for. And so really, church, what, what it means is it starts with us. It's easy to look at the nation and go, oh, it's just not what it used to be. And yeah. And it's easy to bl blame you know, uh, politics or to blame this group of people or that group of people and all those things. But the reality of it is, is somebody who's walking in freedom, they look at themselves and they say, what can I do? And so it starts with that place of self-government, uh, governance. I'm going to do the right thing without anybody making to do it. If we would just do the right thing, then we wouldn't need somebody to tell us to do the right thing. I'm going to, I'm, I'm not going to separate my beliefs and, and the reality of who Christ is in my life. I'm not going to separate that from every area, other area of my life. No, I, I am, a, I am a, a holy priesthood. I am his representative in this world. Therefore, whether I go to work or school or the voting booth, I take Jesus with me. There is no separation. We're going to begin to call up men to be godly dads. To step up and to be godly dads in the home. Thank God for our godly men, but let's challenge them to be godly men at home first. We're going to keep doing that, and that starts with us. Fourthly, we have, we're going to make Jesus king. Jesus is king. 
And what that means is that means he's in charge. It means it's all about him. It's not about my opinion or my thoughts or what I believe. No, no, it's Jesus. And then lastly, we're not going to allow the culture to influence us, the culture of this world to influence us more than the culture of heaven. No, this is who we are. This is where we belong. And that might mean we don't do certain things or go certain places. or we, it, might mean, it might mean that we act a little different or talk a little different or whatever it might be. And people might make fun of our weird socks, but that's okay. Because we're going to have some godly dads that are going to step on our floppy socks and push us down, all right, when we act like idiots, right? So we're, not going to, we're, we're going to recognize that that's where we belong. And church, let me tell you, if we do these things, and we walk, begin to walk as free people, begin to live as free people, understand that you may be misunderstood. When we truly walk in the freedom of Christ, man, freedom is really confusing to people who are in bondage. And so when they look at us and they look at how we are living in, uh, in freedom according to the, the biblical standard of freedom, they may be, we may be misunderstood by that people may look at you and say, man, you know what? You're a bigot. You're so hateful. How could you think this? And how could you think that? And they may come at you for it. Why? Because you're mis- we should be misunderstood. We should. The church has been misunderstood since Christ ascended into heaven. It has been misunderstood. Even when he was here establishing his church, it has been misunderstood. They killed us for it. Over and over and over again, Christians were murdered because they were misunderstood, because they were terrible people? No. And I was doing some, just like for example, and there's much greater examples, but I thought this was funny. The early church, a lot of people thought that they were really antisocial because they wouldn't come to all of the public events. And so they thought, man, those Christians are so antisocial, you know, they're so antisocial. And the truth was, is, is as they got to know the Christians, they realized it wasn't that they were antisocial. It was just that most of the things that the people were doing, most of the celebrations, they all involved this really like pagan worship of false gods. And so it wasn't because the Christians didn't love their community. It wasn't because they didn't love the people. It wasn't because uh, of any of those things. It was just because like, hey, we can't participate in that. God is king, not your carved image. And so when people would like actually get to know them, they're like, holy smokes, they're super social. They're like the most social people ever. You're going to be misunderstood. You can say, hey, man, we, we believe that God is the creator of life. And you don't have the right to take it. And they're going to, oh, that's so hateful. So backwards. But they're going to say, yeah, it's so hateful. No. That's love. And I'm sorry if it seems that way to you. But that, man, but it, listen, we're, we're going to be misunderstood. But as they get to know us, they're going to go, wow, you seem so hateful because you made this strong stand about something really important. But I can see you're not really hateful. You're really, man, you really are full of love. You're going to be misunderstood. But church, I want to challenge you today. Let's begin to take back freedom. Let's begin to walk in the freedom that Christ has set us free for. Amen? Stand with me if you would. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. 
for the freedom that you purchased for us by the blood of Jesus. And Lord, we submit to you as the king of freedom. And Lord, we say to you, let you define freedom in our lives. And we ask, God, that you would give us the strength as your people, as your church, to begin to walk in true freedom again. That we would not be influenced by the culture of this world, but we would recognize that we are, God, citizens of heaven first and foremost. And we thank you for that. We worship you and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Let's worship him one last time. Give Jesus some praise. Go celebrate. Celebrate this weekend. Celebrate tomorrow. Celebrate the freedom, the independence that we have as Americans. But remember that it's all from Jesus. We only have what we have because Jesus Christ truly is the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, and He's the one who supplies our freedom. Amen? Amen. So listen, uh, church is not over. Church is about to begin. So go be the church. Amen. God bless you. Have a beautiful day today. Don't forget if you're going to stick around and celebrate with uh, Jamie and Happy's wedding, do that.
Otherwise, have a good nice day. Go enjoy it.